0: Thankful for the way these stories hold on To the lifetime we won't get
1: back I know these rivers carry Hello and welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and today we are talking about one of Kankakee County's many treasures, many gems. There's so many things that have started here in Kankakee County, and one of them is Dairy Queen. Now, the first store was not here, but it was tested here first, and I'm pleased to say that Kankakee Podcast is, is proudly sponsored by the Noble Dairy Queen stores here in Kankakee County. And we are joined by Joe Riddleman, who operates those stores, and not only here in Kankakee County, but in the Aurora area as well. There's the Noble family-owned stores there. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Jake. It's uh, it's
0: a pleasure to be here, and we're extraordinarily uh, proud to support your efforts here. We think what you're doing is great. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you you joe you're too kind it's it's been i'll never forget you sent me an email saying you were interested in being a sponsor i did get teary-eyed i really did at that point because i was just like oh my gosh like noble dairy queen like you know dairy queen was born here in kankakee county and he wants to be a part of this it was just a, a very flattering humbling thing to read and to come out of nowhere so thank you for that you know there's so much that goes along with dairy queen that I have no idea where to start. I don't know if we should start by talking about how, because obviously your last name isn't Noble, so maybe no. we should cover that part a little bit. People will be like, wait a minute, but he's not Joe Noble. He's Joe Riddleman. What? How, you know, so we probably should explain probably just a little bit on, on yourself and how you came into the Noble family. Certainly, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, so as you mentioned, we have
0: nine stores total, five here in Kankakee County, and then four more in Kane County. And I married into it, <laughs> to be quite honest <laughs> Married with into you. the, the uh, uh, Dairy <laughs> Queen money, man.
1: That soft serve um, money.
0: Yeah, well, no, it's, uh, it's a sweet deal. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, Uh, no, my mother-in-law and my wife's aunt are Christian Sue Noble, and my wife's grandfather is Sherb Noble, uh, who started the Soft Serve and Dairy Queen Revolution. And so I was originally a teacher. I taught technology and engineering, high school, middle school. When we had our first child, I stayed home and I talked to my father-in-law about potentially coming on board. So I worked in a part-time capacity and as the kids have gotten older and my father-in-law has pursued some other interests, I've gotten uh, more and more involved and helped out as, as much as I can in our organization. And it, it's really a wonderful organization to be part of. We have
1: great people. So your father-in-law would be what relation to Sherb then? That would be a son in law Son-in-law. Yeah. So... so it's just a son-in-law thing. We <laughs> just keep passing it down to the son-in-law.
0: So, so I know I'll give you a, a real quick uh funny story. So my mother-in-law and father-in-law met at Val and they like got Indiana, Indiana. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were going to university there and they got married, you know, senior year of college right after. And my father-in-law approached Sherb about a job he wanted to run—he and Sue to run one of their locations, and Sherb said no.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> so Sherb had a—he uh, regularly employed people he knew. He brought a lot of people from Iowa to run his stores. Because and he went to college in Iowa, He was right? born was, in Iowa. Oh, he was born yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he kind of had an unwritten rule that the couple needed to be married at least three years before he would let them run a store. Because they had First, to wor- I want to
1: see if you guys are going to stay together or not. Exactly. And then... Then I'll I'll reconsider. <laughs> Gosh, that's great. <laughs>
0: exactly. So it was probably the best thing that ever happened to my father-in-law. So he ended up then going to dental school at Marquette in Milwaukee. He he started a dental practice in Cedarburg, which is where we live, Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And then uh, after Sherb passed away, they had the opportunity after a few years to take over active management. And and he and Sue, my mother-in-law, and Christy decided that's what they wanted to do and and so they they actually grew the business after that but so he did that all while running his own dental practice and, and my Which, wife's a by dentist the, too. and
1: your wife's a yeah. dentist yeah. and still i'm sorry but the <laughs> the connection between dairy queen and a dent it's just it's just golden i, I think mean. it's complimentary actually <laughs> but uh <laughs> do you, does your wife offer discounts for <laughs> dairy queen customers <laughs> I mean, you know,
0: we particularly like the hard candies in the blizzards, you know, the real fruit. No, I'm just kidding.
1: Uh, <laughs> we push the Heath bars on everyone,
0: you know. Absolutely. Oh, no, my no. gosh. So, yeah, it, it's great. It, it's a great organization to be part of,
1: and, and, and I'm glad that everything's worked out the way it has. So. so, where did you and your wife meet then? In high school. In, in high school. Yeah. She didn't grow up here
0: in no. Kankakee, did she? No. So... My father-in-law is originally from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, so they went. So when Sherb said no, they, <laughs> they, they moved to Milwaukee, back to Wauwatosa, where my father-in-law attended Marquette Dental School. Okay. And when they were looking at places, they saw Cedarburg as a growing community, and it's a very quaint, beautiful community. And so he settled there, started his practice, and raised his family, and... Fortunately for me, yeah. So I, wow. I, my family's—I'm fifth generation Cedarburg, so we've been around oh, forever. You, so, yeah. you've been
1: there for a long time. Though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they were the the newcomers yes. in town. <laughs> okay. Yes. It blows my mind how you know the the noble family went from. Being here in Kankakee, to being up in Wisconsin, though. It's interesting how. Yeah,
0: that... well, Sherb was always here. You know, Sherb lived here his whole life, and, you know, they regularly came to visit. My wife's aunt, Christy, moved back to Iowa to uh, where both her mother and father came from. So that's where she lives now. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, I love coming here, and it's, it's a very comfortable place for me to visit. I'm proud to have a, a business here, for sure.
1: Well, happy to uh, have you here. So we can start with talking about Sherb some sure, more, I guess, Sure, right? sure, sure. Um, Let's you know, do that. Because before, I guess, to kind of trace on his backstory a little bit, we did briefly mention he was actually born in Iowa, but then eventually made his way to Kankakee. It was... What, it was after college or I can't, something like that, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So he was 1908. He's born in Clemens, Iowa. His father was a country doctor. And actually, his father's family was quite enterprising. His uncle, for instance, created the Noble Plow. There's a little village in uh, Canada named after Charles Noble. And basically this plow tilled the earth without wrecking the roots. So during the Dust Bowl, you know, during those times, so much erosion was happening and, and this plow changed
1: things. So um, so we're talking about a revolutionary family here. A- absolutely. <laughs> From plows to ice cream. <laughs> absolutely. So, um,
0: so anyways, his, his dad was a, a country doctor and he grew up walking cows to pasture for a dollar a month. And uh, he also washed dairy buckets at the local creamery. He left Clemens to go to Ames, to Iowa State University for a two-year dairy course. Graduated in 1927, and then he returned back to Clemens to run the creamery. He did that for a couple years, and then he moved to—I've got to check my notes so I get this right. He moved to um, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and worked for the Hutchinson Ice Cream Company, making mix. And then— he also lived in Iowa City, and interestingly, he was an athlete, and he played semi-pro basketball for the Cardinals in Iowa, and they toured the state and whatnot. But during that time, he was— where Was, was he a tall guy? He was.
1: He was okay. pretty tall. And From the pictures, I couldn't tell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, But during that time, he was delivering mix and dairy products, and we believe that's when he— became acquainted with the McCulloughs. The McCulloughs had their homemade ice cream plant, at that time it was in Davenport, and we believe there was a connection there, and the McCulloughs then moved their plant from Davenport to Green River, Illinois. And somehow during that time, we think that connections kept going, and in 1938, Sherb did move here to Kankakee, and he in his own words, he said through their connections in reference to the McCulloughs, he opened five ice cream parlors, traditional hard pack ice cream, and they provided him with his ice cream. So that was all in nineteen thirty eight. He opened those five stores? He opened four in thirty eight and a fifth in thirty nine.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know two of those were in Kankakee Three. or were they- 3 were mm-hmm. in Kankakee. Would you like the addresses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean please. Let's I uh, don't know the numbers, but I know one is on court, one was on West Avenue. Yes, so, in Kankakee.
0: Yeah, and then 911 South Washington Ave was okay. the third one. So yeah, in the 700 block of East Court Street and then the West Ave store downtown, which is where that that first soft serve sale was. And then he had one
1: in uh, Chicago Heights and Blue Island. So pretty much what it was, I didn't realize he moved to Kankakee the same year as that monumental or I should say historical sale of the soft serve that was in 1938. What was it? it? was August. August 3rd. I'm pretty sure
0: it was August okay. 3rd.
1: So August 3rd, 1938. Yeah. Maybe 4th. OK, I'll well, we'll it. say August of 1938 yes. is when that. Soft serve sale was and and so his ice cream stores. He's serving the Hutchinson ice cream, uh, right? Ho-
0: homemade, uh, homemade. Home- yes, the McCulloughs. The
1: there's, he's already right. serving the McCulloughs hard packed, correct? Ice cream, mm-hmm. and so they're like, "Hey, we've got this new thing we want to try. Would you like to try it at your store?" I mean, is that yeah, yeah, more or less? So
0: basically, Grandpa McCullough, the elder of the McCulloughs. Because through making ice cream for so long, he knew that it tasted best fresh from the freezer. Really, the only reason we freeze ice cream that hard is to be able to transport it and keep it for later. And he thought it tasted best fresh out of the machine. And so he wanted to try it. He, you know, he thought the taste it was better on your taste buds. And he wanted to try it. He's like, I think we could sell soft ice cream. Hey, sure. What do you think we can do? He said, well, let's try an all-you-can-eat-for-10-cent sale at my store in Kankakee on West Ave. And so I think it was the 4th. On August 4th, <laughs> yeah, it was. From 8 to 9.30, they had a all-you-can-eat-for-10-cent sale. And they didn't have a machine at the store so they brought it and they hand dipped it but it was soft it was warmer than usual and people loved it
1: he's they so did they just kind of keep it out of the freezer to keep it on the softer side since they didn't have the invention of that type of freezer yet
0: yeah they probably had it in the freezer but it was after it came out of the machine it didn't go into the freezer to freeze hard
1: right so okay okay
0: yeah. So they were hand-scooping it, and they sold 1,600 servings. Sherb said they almost pushed those storefront windows in. There were so many people, and they were even eating ice cream in the tavern on the corner, he said.
1: <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, speaking of tavern, a point of reference, and I could be wrong, where that West Avenue store was, where that sale was, it's not too far from where— Tiny tap is today. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and I think
0: they just put an axe throwing. Uh, right. Yeah, splitting targets. Throng- yes. splitting targets. Yeah,
1: splitting targets is right there too. So anyway, so yeah, this massive sale and it's a hit.
0: Right, and so uh, the McCullough's tried it again two weeks later in Moline. Same. Experience, You know, people loved it. So they knew they were on to something. The problem was, how do you get a machine that can be on site and deliver this fresh to the customer? And they were really scratching their head. And so the younger McCullough was on his way home from Chicago, and he saw custard sand on the side of the road one day. And he stopped in, and he saw that they were creating fresh custard on site. He's like, that's it. That's the machine we need. So he asked the proprietor about the machine. He wouldn't tell him anything. <laughs> of course. So uh, through some digging, they found a gentleman named Harry Oltz in Indiana, and Harry Olts was the one who created this machine. And so they worked things out. He agreed to share his patent with them, but that custard machine used ice and salt, not conducive to mass production on site. So. The McCullough's then approached the Stolteen brothers in Keel, Wisconsin. Been to the plant before, we've we, we have all Stolteen machines in our stores currently. And the Stolting brothers agreed to work with them to add commercial refrigeration to it. That was the step that was necessary. And so the Stoltings asked for quite a bit of money up front (laughs) (laughs) in case this didn't work out. Yeah. But they were able to add commercial refrigeration. They created four prototype machines. And in the winter of 39, they brought one of them down to Green River. And in their basement, they perfected it and they got it to work. And then in June of 1940, that's when they opened the very first Dairy Queen and Joliet, Sherb and the McCulloughs, and then Sherb
1: bought them out at the end of that season. So, and then- Why wasn't a Kankakee though? Do you know why? Is there, was there any reason it just happened to be Joliet? It just-
0: All I can surmise is that he didn't want to cannibalize his own business. He already had three going concerns here. So- so why would you try and something new? And it was probably a market he wanted to get into anyways.
1: Yeah, because he already had quite a few in, mm-hmm. in Kankakee. So he thought, well, Joliet's the next bigger city. Mm-hmm. Well, and then
0: in 41, he opened a second location on Ohio Street in Aurora. So he kept moving, expanding in that way. He had the so he had the first Dairy Queen, and then in '41, the second Dairy Queen opened in Moline, and then Sherb opened the third one in Aurora, and those were drive-up Dairy Queens. So that was a
1: and that, was that kind of a new
0: concept still at yeah, that time, the drive-up. Very much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So '41, he opens his second Dairy Queen, and then he enlists in the army. And yeah, how old was he at that point, though? He, he was he was quite old. He wouldn't have had to go to World War II. That's he what chose to go to World I War II. I was
1: going to say, when I read that, I thought, wouldn't he be kind of old mm-hmm. to be going mm-hmm. to World War II? Mm-hmm. But he did anyway. He did.
0: And it's astonishing to me because here he has five hard pack ice cream stores, just opened a new Dairy Queen, two new Dairy Queens, and he entrusts the people that are running those stores to continue his operation while he's gone. And he was gone from 1942 to 1945. And, and uh, the st- all the
1: stores kept, stayed in operation kept during that time? Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's hard for me to fathom that making that decision. I, It's pretty impressive.
1: It's very impressive. Did he see any action in the war or was he... Primarily away from it. So he was a corporal in the artillery battalion.
0: There are a ton of pictures he took. He, you know, I think. Being a little bit older and probably having more funds than the normal GI did, he took a camera along and we have tons of photographs of these various places. That's incredible. Yeah. So he was in the European theater, entered through North Africa and then up through Sicily and into France. But I think he was on the tail end of things. I I don't think he was
1: ever on the true front lines. Sure. Yeah. That was kind of after the major... Battles. Mm -hmm. So then he comes back in 1945. Yes,
0: and the mccullough's had sold all of his territory. Uh... (laughs) Wait, sold all of his territory? Like as far as? So the way that they started, if you wanted to open a Dairy Queen,
1: oh, that's what I was going to ask. Sure. At that point, was Sherb a like a franchise or just a partner or in? Dairy Queen or what? Yeah,
0: so what they started
1: to do was
0: people were starting to approach them wanting to open Dairy Queens. And so what you ended up doing is you bought the machine, the Dairy Queen machine, and they'd sell it to you. They sold you rights to a certain territory. And depending on how much money you had, you could get a single town. You could get a county. They even sold whole states. It, it, and it was it was very disjointed but the way they made money was you bought the soft serve machine and then you paid them a royalty for every gallon of mix you put through that soft serve machine so sure you know eventually that was kind of the arrangement after you know things started to work out but he them.
1: got home and they sold his territories they had that? sold all of his territories did so, he had did he buy those already or were those just promised to him or that uh, is not completely clear to me
0: but Clearly, they were his because McCulloughs bought him back and gave them to him. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> they thought maybe they did that because, well, if he doesn't come back from the war, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I don't know the details of it, but he
0: did end up getting back. what. Was, so what, would what that include
1: Joliet then? Did they?
0: Yeah. So and, he, and, and Aurora? And so his territory was pretty much the northern part of Illinois. I think it included Chicago, up to Woodstock, Homewood, all of these areas. And at one point, the territory had 35 to 37 stores that Sherb oversaw as a territory operator. So it was pretty large territory. Yeah,
1: that's a lot. Mm -hmm. So he gets back and then he gets control over those territories again? Correct, yeah. And then he opens up one or two new stores in Kankakee, right? Or in the area? When does, or is that getting a little far? Ahead?
0: Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I, at some point he decided to ditch Sherb's ice cream, I I assume, <laughs> and and started to open Dairy Queen's here in Kankakee.
1: So he pretty much got out of the hand-packed ice cream business at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure Dairy Queen was taken off pretty well.
0: Mm -hmm. So some of the stores he owned directly and some of the stores he subfranchised. And I can't tell you exactly which ones were which, but in 1947, Maple Street opened. There is a picture, and I showed it to you earlier. It looks like the West Avenue Sherb's ice cream may have been a Dairy Queen for a while, uh, that they redid the front store front. But I don't have any record of
1: that other than that image. I should have— my friends over at the, the Kankakee County Museum yes, yes. might be able to tell us because sometimes I can give them an address and they can look up and see and they might be able to tell mm-hmm. tell us if at one point there was a Dairy Queen operating in there or not.
0: Yeah, it, and, and in looking at some canceled checks from that era, at some point the checks went from saying Sherb's ice cream to Dairy Queen. So, yeah, maybe that's
1: where I should look mm-hmm. So did Maple? So Maple Street was the next Dairy Queen that he opened in Kankakee. In Kankakee. So that was before Wall Street. Then yes. Wall Street. Okay,
0: I thought Wall Street came. No, the West Kankakee, you know, Wallen station was 1950. And that was and and he loved to do this. He would buy old service stations or old filling stations and he then turned that filling station into a, a Dairy Queen. Smart man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of our stores in uh, Aurora, same thing, was a, was an
1: old motorcycle repair shop turned into a Dairy Queen. So so, the oldest Dairy Queen that you have then is Maple in Kankakee, or is it one of the other locations in like Aurora? They We sold the Ohio
0: Street store in Aurora in the 90s. So, yes, Maple would be the longest ongoing, and then uh, Lake Street in Aurora probably is second. But Station Street is 1950. Uh, And then, so interestingly, there were two stores in Bradley.
1: Yeah, which I did not know. We were just talking before we started recording, and I thought for sure there had never been Dairy Queens in Bradley, but Mm -hmm. there was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in
0: 19—they were both in the 60s. So there was one on Route 54 North and then another one at 840 West Broadway and wait on route 50? Or, 50 or rifty 54 or 45 40 i might have i might i might have made some errors. sorry that's no, okay i'd have or, to
1: i'd have to look i may i may have typed it well, wrong well you might have just mixed up the <laughs> yes. number yeah i've been known to do that <laughs> it's okay so probably on
0: route 45 yeah, yeah i think okay. so so yeah there were two and then at some point in the 60s those closed and the bourbonnais store was built in 67 and some of our listeners might remember that the bourbonnais store was about to open and one sunday my my mother-in-law and sherb and and christy and i don't know if it was their mother or not but uh, they drove by and there had been a fire, and so the opening of the Bourbonnais store was delayed. Oh, no. uh, did they, did they had to... figure out
1: what caused the fire? Was it I arson? think it was electrical. Okay. I think it was electrical.
0: But <laughs> so That's so that that was delayed. But it it opened, and uh,
1: that uh, that WKAN broadcast picture you were showing me was yes. that from that location? That was Maple Street. That was Maple yeah. Street. Okay, yeah. I couldn't remember.
0: Yeah, but Pembroke Township. Had a Dairy Queen. That Sherb opened up, or was it like a more probably a sub? Yes, exactly. Okay. So he may have owned. Yeah, I don't think he owned the building in that one, but uh, that was in 1978. I don't know how long it lasted. It might have only lasted one or two seasons, but there I was mean, one there. The
1: village, uh, uh, the the mayor of the village of Hopkins Park was just here this morning. I could have asked him if he thinks they could, <laughs> they could you know support, <laughs> support. A, a support a Dairy Queen there. You know, yeah. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny.
0: So and then uh, actually Mantino had a Dairy Queen in the 50s, and then it shut down. I know there was one in Piatone too for for a time, and then in the '90s there was one in the Circle K gas station in the yes. or the Shell station in, Ma- in Mantino,
1: yeah. and that's the one that I remember sure. and that I would go to all the time. In fact, it's not too far from where my family's farm is and where my family. Developed a, a little tiny subdivision. So oh. growing up there, I would always just walk up to Dairy Queen right on, you know, in the Shell gas station around Route 50. And I was so bummed out when they closed. But then obviously they came back again, except on the the west side of town exactly yeah when that when the opportunity
0: to buy that creamery building came we had wanted to expand back into mantino and that just seemed like such a nice fit
1: because so. if i remember correctly the dairy queen that was in the circle k that mm-hmm. was a sub franchise right because the the person who owned that they were retiring or something right
0: yes yeah, so that was paul Steinwart was his name and paul was sherb's for lack of a better term, we'll say operations director for decades and sure, let Paul open a couple of stores. I think he had three stores total and that was one of his. But yes, he retired and the noble family didn't want to continue or the it might have been in the bank at that time. OK. So, yeah.
1: Now, the Moment store yes. is similar mm-hmm. uh, how the old Mantino location used to be. It's inside of a It is a circle. It K, is circle yeah. K gas station. Was that one of the stores that he had operation of too?
0: Then I think the Noble Organization always owned that store. I think I think Paul oversaw it and oversaw the development of it. But that opened in ninety three, and I think that's always been part of our company, if you will.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Dilly Bar was around at this time, right? Yes. And what were some of the you know because this is pre Blizzard days and well, yeah, uh, you know the Dilly Bar
0: debuted in. 1955. So, Dairy Queen had been around, but you know, they were selling quartz, sundays, cones, and shakes. And that was about it. So, they needed to start to expand and so come up with new things. Exactly. So, novelties came uh, along and I read someone had taken like a round container top and put some dairy queen in it and put a stick in it, froze it, dipped it in chocolate, and handed it to someone. And and the boy's response, well isn't that a dilly? <laughs> and that's how the name came. So Golly gee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Golly
1: gee, Joe. It's so interesting.
0: <laughs> so um so yeah, and you know, the dilly bar, they started putting banana splits on the menu before that in 51. And then Mr. Misty in 1961. So that was the first non-dairy Dairy queen product. Yeah, so yeah. I, allegedly, Sherb, when they were trying that out, Sherb had one at his house, and his neighbor came over, and they tasted it, it was good, and his neighbor said, you know, this might taste a little bit better with something special in it. <laughs> but
1: anyways... Because I, there... Okay, so to, to elaborate, for those that don't know, because it can get confusing, there is the... What is it? Mr. Misty. Yes. Which I'm going to see if I'm right. Has the soft serve in it? No, no. OK. Mr. Misty doesn't have the soft serve. What's the one that does? So,
0: OK, Dairy Queen, Corporate Dairy Queen kind of made things this confusing. Okay. So it was Mr. Misty. And then they decided that wasn't contemporary enough. So uh, they changed it to be the Arctic Rush. Oh, yeah. That's right. And so a couple of years ago, they decided to change it back to the Misty. So now it goes by the Misty Slush. Now, if you want, you can get a Misty Float. That would be with the Misty and then some Dairy Queen in it, like a root beer float. Or you could get a Misty Freeze, and that's the Misty base
1: with the Dairy Queen mixed inside it. That's what I'm thinking of as the Freeze. Mm -hmm. Mm Because I remember having (laughs) the— Owen, my son Owen, and I were in the drive-through, and he loves the color blue. So okay. he sees the blue raspberry. The, the, yes, yeah. yes. And he's like, "I want that." I'm like, "Well, there's no ice cream in that." But then I see on the menu that the Mister or M- Misty Freeze, Misty Freeze, Very the Misty good. Freeze has the soft serve in it. So I'm like, "Oh, well, let's get that and see." Yes, <laughs> you know, he'll get his his soft serve and the other. You know, the slush or slushy, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that is super confusing. Yeah. Very confusing. I'm glad we uh <laughs> glad we went over that. And yeah, now I mean Dairy Queen's menu is so elaborate. I do know, you know, growing up and and I know you know this and, and for those listeners that have listened to the episode with my grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, Franklin Weber. You know, my grandpa uh, operated Weber Printing in Mantino for several years, ended up doing printing work for Mm -hmm. Sherb Noble and the Dairy Queen stores. And he would talk about my my grandparents growing up always talked about we used to stop at the they call them brazers. Now they call them grill and chills, Mm -hmm. uh, Dairy Queen grill and chills where they have food. Mm -hmm. We would always stop at the one in Lowell, Indiana on the way to Michigan. So, we'd sit there, and we we would usually eat the you know, the food that they have there and also have ice cream. And they'd always comment, "Oh, Sherb would just hate this if he was alive today." You know, because <laughs> he was against food, right? in, in being incorporated with. Dairy Queen. Yeah, he was a purist. You
0: know, he felt you do one thing and you do it exceptionally well, and don't dilute that. And um, he's not completely wrong, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and and then well, they we didn't even have chocolate Dairy Queen until after his death. He wouldn't even let chocolate. Wow,
1: <laughs> and that was he died in ninety one. So he died that's, in ninety one. a look his yeah. Dairy.
0: Wow. But I don't know, you know, even today, if we sell, you know, five gallons of vanilla to one gallon of chocolate, it, it doesn't, you know, most of our products are made with vanilla. You have to buy larger equipment. The main reason we, we decided to move to chocolate, well, this was before my time, but, <laughs> but people have told me the main reason we included chocolate was for cakes because there's a chocolate layer so, yeah, he, he never wanted to get into the food, you know, and he he re, he had a lot of people he respected who did move in that direction, but uh, it wasn't for him.
1: So, I guess, what's the next big thing? Is it the it's the Blizzard creation, probably? The Blizzard,
0: without the Blizzard, there's no doubt Dairy Queen would not be as successful as it is
1: today. It would have I mean, tanked, you think? You, you don't I, think I, it would be around?
0: I, I wouldn't say that it would have tanked, but, I mean, the Blizzard is a brand within a brand i mean billions of dollars are in blizzards are sold every year you know and it it really revolutionized things but it almost didn't happen and so the story of the blizzards a little bit interesting uh some of the listeners may be familiar with ted drews in uh st louis A very popular local custard place, and they were starting to take their custard and mix fruits in with it. And then there was another another store nearby that was also starting to add candies to it. And the lines were exceptional. And so, the Dairy Queen operator in St. Louis, his name was Sam Temperado. He knew he and Sherb were, were good friends. He brought this forward, and at first it was. Thought of as like a triple thick shake, and so there was some debate: do we add milk? Do we not add milk? And and whatnot. But he brought it forward, and they voted him down. They're like, no, we're not interested in pursuing this. So he's like, well, whatever. I'll
1: just go so back. So he brought his idea to like the corporate Dairy Queen board, or
0: yeah, not just the not so much the corporate board, but the territory operator. You know the people the people who controlled you know, most of the stores. And uh, they said, no, no, we don't want to do that. And he's whatever. But one of the people at Corporate Dairy Queen saw this as a, a potentially good thing. So anyways, they decided to have their next territory operators meeting in St. Louis. And Sam arranged for some buses to come and pick them up. And so they took a field trip. And the first place they go is Ted Drew's. And they see how long the lines are. They taste it. They're like, hmm, this is pretty good. And then they go to the next place that was putting candies and cookies in it. And, oh, wow, this is really good. And so they decided to allow it to move forward. But it wasn't going to be a mandatory thing. It was just, you know, let, let's test the waters. Operators who want to do it can do it. And, well, the operators who did it saw their sales increase 30 percent and pretty soon that's a huge
1: mark oh it's so did they first start testing it then in st louis then is that he he had been
0: yeah he had been using it part of the thing is you needed a a more powerful blender the shake shake mixers wouldn't cut it so you know we got past that uh duke manufacturing i believe made something for them but then it took off. It took off. And Dairy Queen, the system's never looked back since. Uh, And so what was Sherb's stake in the the blizzard? I I don't know. And no one's ever told me. Really? Like Uh, none
1: of your relatives, none of your, your wife's side of the family has ever divulged on? I'll have to ask Christy.
0: You know, I remember there was a there's a Dairy Queen convention in 85 in Hawaii I'm pretty sure and I think that's where it was unveiled but you know he he must have seen, even if you even if you're against it and you see that kind of reception from the public and they got so much free publicity I think they sold 50 million blizzard treats in the first 9 months holy cow you know and they had to chop the candy by hand
1: Oh, <laughs> at that so, time yes, they weren't getting the, yes, because now it just comes in bits, right? And, and right, little they pieces. sell it to us that way, yeah.
0: But they were getting free advertising dollars, you know, from the cookie and candy manufacturers because they wanted to sell more cookies and candy. Okay, and so like M and Ms, for example, they were right. getting Mars, Mars would Mars, sponsor yeah. some of our our advertising, and I it can't be said enough how important that that singular product is, particularly to us as treat only stores. In keeping Dairy Queen
1: Yeah, because without alive. without the grill and chill. Because most of the times the new Dairy Queens that are being built, they're grill and chills, aren't they? I mean— Yeah,
0: they have to be. Oh, um, they have to be nowadays? Yeah, so corporate Dairy Queen, with a few exceptions, you know, but if you are a direct licensed franchisee, if, if you go to corporate Dairy Queen, IDQ, ADQ, and you say, I want to open a store— and they're going to give you the license directly. All they'll allow is for you to open a grill and chill. Now, they are opening some treat stores internationally, but
1: in the U.S., it's grill and chill. How many stores are there total in the country or in – well, in the world, I guess? Uh,
0: Do you know? I, I want to say north of 7,000. Yeah, it's uh, – and so they're – they're developing Asia pretty extensively, a little bit in the Middle East now. And it's always interesting. I always love going to the Dairy Queen conventions because they'll have an international f- blizzard flavor every day. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Yeah, yeah. What's some of the ones you've tried? Uh, so the most popular blizzard in Asia is the green tea blizzard. <laughs> Yeah, it's, interesting. It, it wasn't too bad, except that it had these weird toasted sesame things in that that tasted a little odd to me. Yeah, that um, would be a little strange. But there was uh, some of the Mexican... Oh, that would be are, interesting. ...are really good. Yeah? ...are really good. <laughs> Although there was one this year, it was basically Ho-Ho's. <laughs> oh. Um, and then there was another there was like it was like a chai tea this wasn't a blizzard but it was a chai tea and then they just took some of our dairy queen mix which is real by itself is rich and decadent and they they call it a cream on top and so they would just put a layer of cream with this chai tea and it was it was delicious.
1: Huh. That does sound really good. Yeah. It sounds like something you'd get at a coffee shop or something.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's interesting. They're very innovative. Um, Dairy Queen's big in Canada as well, um, but it's that's more similar to us in the United yeah, States.
1: Right. They probably have similar flavors and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the... The blizzard comes around in 1985, Mm -hmm. and sure, he does pass away in 1991. He was operating all of his stores up until then, right? Or some of them were sub-franchised. Yeah, yeah. No, he... At that point, what was the... By that time, he only had seven of
0: his own stores left. He had sold a majority of his territory, and those people actually still own the territory and are running the store, or, you know... Yeah, running the stores, I should say. And so he had seven stores left, the stores here in Kankakee, and there were four at the time, and then there were th- three up in Kane County. So, and and so uh, he had, Paul, who we mentioned earlier, oversaw things for him, and, and yeah, so so he had seven stores left at the time of his, his passing. And you did or did
1: not meet him? I can't remember. I did not. That's what I thought. Yeah. I couldn't because you met not too long after that, right? You met your wife. No, uh, that no. wasn't until. No, that wasn't until much later. I'm. I'm I my timelines messed up. It's I apologize. Okay. It's okay. I had the bald spot. In my you know.
0: <laughs> no, no 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 no. It's it's not that. It's just
1: sometimes I. I uh, I just don't think clearly enough before I open my mouth. I, I did have the opportunity to meet Sherb's
0: second wife. So my mother-in-law's mother passed away. Um, she contracted cancer, and she passed away in '64. When my mother-in-law was only 13. But then Sherb got remarried, and I w- I met his second, second wife, wife, Catherine. But yeah,
1: what, what are are there any stories that come from your? in-laws, some interesting tidbits that they've told you over the years that you can share about Sherb or just about the stores in general, you know, growing up in that environment?
0: Yeah. You know, Sherb was a quiet guy from what I'm told. And, you know, he did more... walking into a store and not saying anything that, you know, saying, you know, he just had a presence about him, but he was someone who valued you for your work ethic and for what you did and who you were as a person and, you know... I've heard stories, you know, even the Pembroke Township, for instance, you know, there are other territory operators who may not have even entertained that, but he was willing to support them. He, (laughs) you know, he didn't necessarily, well, one of our stores in Lake Street was run by uh, two women who were a couple. And he knew them from Iowa, you know. But they did a great job. And you know, if if you were someone who did great work, served customers, took pride in the Dairy Queen, Sherb Sherb would be very generous to you. And he was uh, he was he was a good guy, but just quiet guy. I think he had a very dry sense of humor, from what I've been told. I I wish I could have met him. I, yeah, you know,
1: he always sounded like a heck of a guy, just from the the tidbits that my grandfather Franklin Weber would tell me about mm-hmm. him just from the interactions he had with him. It always sounded he's always sounded like an interesting guy.
0: Yeah, he so. he was also always known for his Sherb isms. He, he had He had he <laughs> had he had, you know, several phrases that he he came back to time and time again from what I've been told. So. Okay.
1: Is there anything else on the Sherb Noble and and Dairy Queen that you want to get across or that we haven't covered? I'm trying to think of
0: No, you know, I think uh, one of the things that's confusing to people is what is ice cream?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) We were just literally talking about this beforehand. So Dairy Queen is, well, originally it was not labeled as ice cream, right? Or was it just called soft serve ice cream or just soft serve or just a dairy treat?
0: Yeah, like like any new product, Dairy Queen was... uh, Got a lot of pushback, you know. There, when they started wanting to put new Dairy Queens in different states, there were some states that said, "No, you can't, you can't have this product." And the reason is it has lower milk fat than ice cream. That's like this is an ice cream. You can't call this ice cream. It's kind of like the almond milk, you know. <laughs> is it? It's not really <laughs> almond milk, milk, right? Milk,
1: um, coconut milk. <laughs> but
0: uh, so basically, a Dairy Queen has lower fat content. So in fact, their first tagline was Dairy Queen, a treat for taste, a food for health. And one of the things in the early 50s that they told operators to do was go to reducing salons. So that would have been like, you know, Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers and talk about the uh, benefits of Dairy Queen over regular ice cream and how it's less fattening for you.
1: Of course, that kind of all changed, though, when the blizzard came around (laughs) because, you know, you're putting all the the candy and cookie, you know. That's why we have the mini. Uh, Uh, That is why the mini exists. Yeah. But,
0: um, you know, maybe I'll talk just – quickly about what the difference between the ice creams are and and just a little bit about how Dairy Queen and ice cream is made. So basically, if you look in one of our stores, you'll see the big Dairy Queen freezer. And so it starts out as a liquid mix. And in that mix, there's various types of ingredients. You know, and this was really something that when the McCulloughs first started to come out with their new machine... Perfecting that mix was a big deal. They had to put a stabilizer in there so that the water didn't crystallize and it wasn't too chewy and whatnot. And I think that's where Sherb really helped them out is because of his background in mix and dairy, you know, he contributed to making the mix. But anyway, so we start with mix. And it's then pumped up into the machine, and in our machine, if you could take the sides off, you would see a barrel, and sometimes you can see on the front of it, but it's a long cylindrical barrel, and wrapped around that barrel is refrigeration. And so that mix gets pumped in there. But while that mix is getting pumped in there, actually air is getting pumped in there as well. If you were to freeze the mix solid, it would be very coarse and chewy. So we have to put air in there, and that's called overrun. And so we pump some air in there, we pump the mix in, and then there's a big auger in there that agitates that mix and also pushes it towards the front of the spigot. And so it comes in, and as that mix Uh, changes consistency as it's pushed forward and it gets colder as it's pushed forward so that by the time you get to the front of the machine and we open that spigot, it's perfect for consumption and presentation. But so what we have is actually used to be called ice milk. We weren't allowed to even reference
1: ice cream. It was dairy, but it wasn't ice cream. It was <laughs> yes. ice milk. I th- and I know, like I was telling you before, that's what my mom always called it, ice milk, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she, you know, from that generation where it wasn't called ice cream.
0: <laughs> it, w- right. And and even in my family, in, well, you the, know, in and the the, noble in the family. noble family, we refer to it as Dairy Queen. Would you like some Dairy Queen with your
1: pie? You yes, know, uh, and my my that was another thing my grandfather made a point to put out as you know it wasn't ice cream. It was a dairy. You know, you got a Dairy Queen. It wasn't getting ice cream from Dairy Queen. You got Dairy Queen exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So our so ice milk or reduced fat ice cream has less than ten percent milk fat, and ours is uh, right around five percent, uh, maybe even a little less and we pump about 40% air into it. So, for every every gallon of mix we get 1.4 gallons of finished product. But then if you look at ice cream, ice cream has to have a minimum of 10% milk fat. So, it has to have 10% or more and no more than 100% overrun. So, you think about that 100% overrun. So, for every gallon of mix you're getting 2 gallons of product. But so that's what ice cream is. But even
1: within ice cream, there are subcategories of ice cream. Oh so my there's. Gosh. Especially nowadays with all the non dairy options. You
0: sure. Know. Sure. Yeah. It, specifically, though, you know, like when you go to that freezer section, there's super premium ice cream, there's premium ice cream, oh, right. there's I regular, and then there's yes. economy. And they all have to do with how much milk fat and overrun is in there. And that's why, you know, a Ben and Jerry's is so expensive because high milk fat, Low overrun, and you know, and, and then they put and that's, decadent ingredients. Uh, in
1: well, it. and that's why the I forget which one Ben or Jerry or both of them have had multiple uh, bypass surgeries. <laughs> You know, so that's been in the news quite a bit before. I remember. That's funny. So yeah, I mean, it only makes sense. It just you look at one of the small containers of a Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and it's in the thousands yeah. of yeah. Yes. how many calories you're consuming.
0: Yeah. So, but then you know, and some people custard has to have a minimum of ten percent milk, but it also has to contain at least one point four percent egg yolk to be called custard.
1: Oh so, that's where that comes in because yeah. it's also I mean it is on a softer side mm-hmm. so it's it's similar in the sense that it's, it's well depend, I guess depending on where you get it from yeah mm-hmm. but or I should say less fat is what I mean to say custard still has less Does it have less fat? Well, it has to have at least
0: 10% milk fat and 1.4% egg yolk. So I would say it probably is not less fat than uh, regular regular ice
1: cream. cream. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it's really fascinating to hear the science behind Dairy Queen's soft serve Mm -hmm. and and how that that famous flavor is. And there's just nothing like it. Mm -hmm. There really isn't. Compared to any other soft serve I have, it's just like... It pales in comparison to any other soft serve. I don't care if it's going to McDonald's or wherever. I mean, it's just, it pales in comparison. Well, yeah. it, you know, it, it Sherb always says it
0: has that comeback flavor <laughs> or comeback taste, you know, because as soon as people had one, they would be back.
1: I'm ready and, to get in the car and go back and get another one, let me tell you. So <laughs> there's something I want to point out, too, is that unlike many of... The other Dairy Queen stores, you still actually make your own dilly bars and what, probably Buster bars too? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You make them in your actual stores, whereas um, a lot of the other locations are actually having them shipped in from like the, I guess, quote unquote factory Mm -hmm. where they're Made right, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's a real source of pride for us, and actually, during COVID, it was very practical too because the dairy that makes them couldn't keep up. So, yes, we make all of our own dilly bars, Dairy Queen sandwiches, and Buster bars in house. We believe it tastes they're fresh, they taste better. And uh, we also make all our own cakes in house. There are some Dairy Queens that, that, that don't. So, you know, it's important to us to deliver that quality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, is there anything else? I I can... You know, maybe I talk just, I had shown you that picture about the Dairy Queen socials. Oh, yes. I thought that was so cool. So in... We had a picture from Maple Street, and basically what it would be is it could be a church group, a fraternity, sorority, who knows, uh, or some sort of social organization. But the the ladies of the organization would make cakes, bring them to the store. They'd set up a table, and the, the people would come. They would come and take their cake, and then they'd walk around to the front and get their Dairy Queen to go with it. You know, it's just— I was talking to a longtime operator. She, she operated the Lake Street store in Aurora, and I asked her, you know, what it was like. And, and I don't think what we can appreciate is there was nothing like Dairy Queen. There was no competition. It was such an important
1: part. When your, when your community got a Dairy Queen, it was a big deal. Did they have a—I a, guess that's a good question to ask is, did Dairy Queen have kind of their, their leg up on the whole— soft serve thing as far as no one else could well obviously yeah no one else could use the equipment that was created and things like that but there there must have been others at some point that either were trying to develop the same thing right around the same time or maybe after Dairy Queen started to be successful they're like oh I need to try to do that yeah where the but I don't know if there's yeah. So any other any yeah. other places you can if you've ever think of any other companies you can think of that were trying to do the same thing or if
0: you've ever been out east you may have seen Carvel C A R V E L and so actually he started in 1938 as well and if you watch the Food Network the the Food That Built America there is a an episode on soft serve and they kind of play it off as a competition who, who really created soft serve With first, car, Carvel or, 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 you know, the McCullough's and yeah. Sherb. And what ended up happening, this guy was, this, he had an ice cream truck and in New England, somewhere, I don't know if it was New York or whatnot, but the truck broke down and it was a hot day. He's like, I can't, you know, I've got to serve my, so he starts serving soft ice cream out of his truck. Cause the freezer broke down and he decided that that was, Something and uh, he started to make his own soft serve ice cream yeah. store. So, but then there's another guy. I think his name was Harry Axney. He broke off from Dairy Queen at one point because he was irritated with something, and they started Tasty Freeze. And, you know, okay. we, you've probably seen, but there aren't many Those around. are the
1: trucks, right? Or, no, I'm well, no, that's they that's were stores.
0: Else. They were stores. Yeah. Okay. There was one in Aurora, not far from one of our stores. And it recently, I don't know if it recently shut down or the building was just standing there. But I think there are a few Tasty Freeze locations left, but it 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 didn't go too far. Interestingly, you may have heard of the name Ray Kroc. Yeah. So before Ray Kroc started McDonald's, he was a malt machine salesman and he, he called on Sherb and he called on all the Dairy Queen operators and he there's a picture of him at one of the very first Dairy Queen operators conventions sitting at the table with all the other guys and there is a legend and i it's only legend that when ray was getting into mcdonald's he approached sherb about being an investor and sherb said no thank you i'm in the dairy queen business but thank you so,
1: wow.
0: Wow. <laughs> i i don't know if, uh, if that's true or y- not. yeah but i uh, you know it's it certainly is plausible it certainly is plausible because
1: that was all happening right around the same time. It was all of the, yeah. a lot of those mm-hmm. franchises. Yeah, Ray Kroc
0: really did. He Dairy Queen was such an early franchise that it was quite disjointed, and and it's kind of been a challenge for the 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 whole of the organization. Dairy Queen operators are very independently minded, and so there are times when I'm sure people at in Minneapolis, which is where Dairy Queen is is headquartered, are are, are frustrated. But um, it uh, you know all along though we all have pride in in the product and the name and and want to do a nice job. Yeah, and you got me hooked
1: on it. So. <laughs> I thank you. You brought you brought some, by the way. You did bring some dilly bars, and then you brought the sugar, the frosted sugar cookie. Yes, which is part of the winter or the it's the our holiday. it's our December
0: blizzard of the month. December blizzard, of along month of with time. the candy cane chill.
1: Oh, uh, that's always good. Which uh, which yeah. you can also sample. So thank you very much for that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I know there's there's so many different pieces that so many different stories and.
0: Yeah, you know, I sh- one, I'll, maybe I'll. Uh, Sherb, I, I always find it interesting where people live when they. So when Sherb first came, he lived in the YMCA. Uh, no way. Like so many. And it's torn where where it was at the time is torn down now. Yes. but but that was very common for young men when they came to town before they had a place. They, which
1: is why the song is, yeah, the song. <laughs> That's what they're talking about, right? It is. So yeah. he
0: he lived there, and then when he and Bess got married, they actually lived above the West uh, Avenue store, and then they built a house on Osborne, and then the, Sherb's final home was out on Marquette Lane, out in Shore
1: Acres. So. Anything else you want to add, Joe? I I mean this has been a lot of fun. I you I, and I, I always hope. we always hit it off well and it's always fun just to hang out with you. I hope I you haven't know. bored you with uh... Absolutely not. I could do this all day. I think it's fascinating. No. Especially I am always it's one of the it's one always one of the first things I explain and say to people when they have no idea where Kankakee County is or Kankakee in general. They don't know much about it. I'm always proud to say that Dairy Queen, in a roundabout way, was born here. The mm-hmm. first Dairy Queen was not mm-hmm. here, but you know they tested the their product
0: here, if you will. Absolutely, and 2023 will be the 85th anniversary of that. So I think we'll we'll be celebrating that. We're gonna have to have a big celebration. We are, yes, maybe we... a
1: a live podcast. Or oh, something. that w- that could be fun. something. Yes. I don't know. We'll think of.
0: Yeah, no, I we're uh, we're already starting to plan to to celebrate because that's that's it's a really.
1: Uh, it's an amazing milestone. It um, is. And the fact that your family is still involved is wonderful. Thank you for taking, you know, taking up that torch and <laughs> continuing it on, because it sounds like if you didn't, they might not have kept it going.
0: That, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that's true. And, you know, they say, I think it's something less than 15, maybe 10 percent of Businesses make it to the second generation and single digits make it to the third. And you have to be very proactive uh, to make that happen. And we've been very fortunate, you know, I should say my generation of the family that my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my wife's aunt have been very proactive in allowing the stores to be able to continue and, and prepare to move to the next generation. And, you know, with any luck, uh, there'll be a fourth generation.
1: Uh, I certainly hope so. so. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly hope so. Well, Joe, again, thank you so much for, uh, being on and just your support for the podcast, everything that your family's done for, you know, the community. Yeah. So.
0: Well, I want to just reiterate too. Thank you, Jake. You know, I, I, you know, being not from Kankakee, I have learned so much about all of the wonderful things that are going on in Kankakee through your podcast, and I think you do such a nice job of of looking back as well as looking contemporarily. You know, I was on a trip this summer, and I ran into someone who was born here in Kankakee, and, and you know, he was he was of the era of the 50s and 60s and had nothing positive to say about Kankakee <laughs> that's and usually
1: the, that's usually what happens yeah
0: and because of what you have taught me I and exposed me to I was able to say well actually there are some really great things going on in Kankakee and and you know it, it, we're so proud to be able to be part of that and and see all the good things that are happening and and so thank you for highlighting that it's oh, wow. it's
1: really <clears throat> tremendous Well, I'm very proud to say that, you know, Dairy Queen is is a part of the our county's rich history. It's just it's a very proud thing to wear. I feel like every resident of the county should wear, excuse me, on their shoulders, you know, uh, to kind of tote that around. So and the fact that it's still in the family. Uh, there's not that many. One of the only one other ones I can think of just offhand is like Turk Furniture. Mm-hmm. You know, Turk mm-hmm. Furniture started mm-hmm. way, even way before yeah. a, you know Noble Dairy Queen did, mm-hmm. and it's still owned by the Turk family. Right. So that there's just not many. So it's just yeah. cool. It's just cool to say that's a great heritage. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. You're very welcome. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Don Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Carl Earp, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twaite, and Rose Lucky. Now, to become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com. Click on the patron tab, and if you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes or extended versions of episodes, uh, discounts on upcoming special events if we have any. Currently, we don't, but there's other rewards Awards uh, included monthly. So your monthly pledge is truly appreciated. Our goal right now is to reach $400 per month, and right now we're about halfway from reaching that goal. So please sign up for the patron program today at KankakeePodcast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop.
0: This river carries
1: on.